Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Michael Spitzer on his new book, The Musical Human, A History of Life on Earth. Michael Spitzer is Professor of Music at the University of Liverpool. He was born in Nigeria, brought up in Israel and emigrated to England during the Yom Kippur War in 1973. He was educated at Merton College, Oxford and Southampton University and taught for 20 years at Durham University. An accomplished pianist, Spitzer is a world-leading authority on Beethoven, but he also writes widely on the philosophy and psychology of music. And today we're going to be talking about Michael's book, The Musical Human, A History of Life on Earth. Michael, welcome to Little Atom. Thanks for having me, Neil. First of all, tell us what the idea is behind The Musical Human. It's an origin story, as well as uh, a global history of the musical civilizations. So it's the evolution of music as far back as the dinosaurs and takes and whizzes you through the history of the earth through animal calls and primates and hominins, which are our ancestors, um, australopithecines, which are the first hominins to stand on their feet and walk. Then we have the first musical instruments, the bone flutes, which are 40,000 years old and were discovered in South German caves. And then we have the birth of world history in the Near East, um, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, the Israelites, the Carolingians in Western Europe. And then it splits off into China, India, Africa, and climaxing with the ostensible triumph of the West through globalisation and the spread of Western music across the planet. People have obviously written histories of music or certain areas of music before, but the idea of music as you know an integral part to our origin story, to the history of life on Earth itself, not just human life, has been overlooked. Why do you think that is? Edison invents the phonograph in 1877, and prior to that, it was impossible to record sound. You got pigment on cave walls, you got poetry, you got statues and temples, but how do you know what music sounded like several thousand years ago? Music also transcends language and reason. You can't capture the experience of music with words or, or with concepts. So you have to be quite cunning 
And I did that by extrapolating from what we do today, by looking at the anthropology of cultures across the world, uh, hunter-gatherer societies and agricultural farming societies and extrapolating backwards. Also by um, referring to other disciplines like neuroscience and um, archaeology and biology and history, just trying to get away from the, I think, quite boring old-fashioned history of which composer wrote what, when, when they were born, what did they do. It's a very traditional linear narrative, which normally starts 400 years ago with a great composer and then marches on decade after decade to the 21st century. I have to say, though, that this is different from um, folk music or, or trad or jazz, which is quite quite a different story. So that's what I tried to do to write the first ever evolution of music. Hasn't been done before. At the very beginning of the book, we see the um, golden records that were attached to the the two Voyager probes that went off in the seventies. I've actually myself been lucky enough to to see one of these in, oh, wow. in real life at the um, yeah, yeah. Jet Propulsion Laboratory in in Pasadena. Obviously, not one of the ones that that went off into the um, into the solar system. And you you imagine at some point in the in the distant future, an alien species who you know somehow have got phonograph technology finding one of these things and listening to it and what would they extrapolate about our species from it well there's all kinds of music on the golden record there's um bach the japanese gamelan there's there's pop music there's um, music from easter island it looks to us extremely different but from the point of view of an alien these are just petty provincial territorial squabbles and what might occur to this alien is that underlying this surface diversity is a common humanity. And that was my thought experiment. What is a common humanity of world music, the music of the world? And again, let's talk about the particular structure of the book, because, as I said, people have you know attempted to write histories of music before. And this book has the possibly hubristic subtitle of A History of Life on Earth. Let's talk about how you particularly have tackled it. I tackled it inspired by Christopher Nolan's film of Dunkirk, which you might remember mm-hmm. is structured around three timelines. It all happens in a day and and a week and an hour. And I think that's a, quite a neat way of reverse engineering the story of music. So I start off with the arc of life, a human life from the cradle to the grave and all their life experiences. Uh, and the middle section of the book is global world history taking the bone flutes as a starting point and panning across the world's civilizations. And the third part is the evolution of music from animal communication through to those bone flutes. So why do I do that? I think those you have three variations or three layers. They're all doing the same thing. There is one story, which and it's a tragic story. It's the fall from immediacy and warmth and emotion into abstraction, And that plays out in the human life because we're all born musical. And you see that in the way that a baby communicates with their parent through what's called proto-conversations or infant-directed speech or or motherese. It's like a dialogue between the mother and the baby and they do things like imitate each other or play turn-taking games or surprise games. And what's going on there is the same dynamics you see in a jazz band where the musicians are interacting with each other along similar lines. It's a musical process. So if we're all born musical, what happens to us? Well, this propensity is taught out through our education system. And the West 
tragically, is a culture of listeners, not makers. The vast majority of our experiences, apart from, you know, karaoke bars or football terraces or in church, we gain those through listening, not through performing. And there's an assumption that there are musicians who are gifted, and there's the rest of us who, who aren't. And that is such a peculiar attitude and you don't find that in most parts of the world in india or or africa or south america where um, musical culture is much more participatory people participate doesn't matter how good you are you just have a go so what i show in the first level of of the story is the fall into abstraction into passive consumption and this recapitulates what happens on the global dimension where Music starts off in a participatory way several thousand years ago, and then music notation happens in the West. Around a thousand years ago, in 1020, a monk called Guido in Italy, he invents staff notation, you know, putting notes on five lines. And that sets in train a whole sequence of repercussions. And you start to view music as an object, something on paper which we then mechanically reproduce. And that splits the creation of music from the performance of music. And you don't find that split in Indian raga, where music is an active process of improvisation, or indeed in jazz. We don't have this distinction in jazz or in lots of rock and pop between the maker and the performer. It's a very westernised idea. So what you're seeing in the Western, or rather in in the global historical dimension, is the same pattern of beginning with immediacy and falling into symbolic abstraction. And then at the largest level, the same thing happens, where you start off with animal communication, which is emotional and functional, and that becomes aesthetic and abstract 40,000 years ago. Why is that date so important? Anthropologists think that this is the birth of the human mind, where sapiens achieve maturity, intellectual maturity, and they invent symbolic language. They invent the ability to represent art in a realistic way, because you find figurines and cave paintings. And they also invent the bone flute, which is music technology with standardised finger holes. So this is the point where uh, musical abstraction takes off. And that is the great arc of music's evolution from birdsong and what primates vocalised millions of years ago to the beginnings of music technology coinciding with the cognitive maturity of our species. So I stack these three levels upon each other because I think that music is the art of repetition. What distinguishes music from language or poetry or, or from painting, it's obsessed with repeating patterns. You repeat beats in the bar, you repeat bars in a phrase, repeat phrases in a in a section of music. Um, there's something about repetition which taps in into what I call the fractal system of the cosmos, um, or self-replicating patterns. And I think, and this is this is an, this is kind of a, a fairly controversial hypothesis, that when you listen to music, it's a form of mental time travel. You're going back in time and reconnecting with history and evolution and with animal communication. So I call music an umbilical cord back to Mother Nature. And you hear that in the way that music is full of contour and gesture and quite primitive you know, reflexes, which you find being um, entrained by the deepest parts of the brain, the brain stem which responds to shocks, or the reptile brain, which responds to pleasure and displeasure, or the mammalian amygdala, mammals, 
like the amygdala respond to basic emotions. What we bring to the party as sapiens is a neocortex, our ability to process language or in musical terms, complex patterns. And just as the brain is a palimpsest or a sandwich with layers, music is processed by every layer of the brain. And in listening to music, we are time travelling in a very real biological sense. Well, you described listening to music as time travel. And of course, as as you've already mentioned, music in itself, listening to it is, it's a temporal medium. It's just sound waves in air. And and so this is one of the, the problems with the archaeology of music in that, you know, there are not relics. There are not things that exist in the past, apart from, you know, the finds like the bone flutes. Um, But of course, as you said, one of the, you know, one of the characteristics of what we call Western music is a form of notation, scores, writing musical notes down. And that in itself is there is some sort of form that we can we can study. But even that is is not as easy because notation has obviously changed and developed over the years, as has fashions and styles of how that particular music that's on a page is then performed and interpreted. Um, So tell us something about how Western musical notation has changed over the last, I guess, couple of thousand years. The very first notated music happened in the Near East with the Hurrian hymn number six, which is dated 1400 BC. So just as the Sumerians invented um, script, the first writing, about 4,000 years ago. They also invented music notation. The problem is we can't decipher it, and there are all sorts of interpretations of what Hurrian hymn number six sounded like. The first completely notated song we have is called the Secular Song, and that was dated about 200 AD, possibly earlier, in Anatolia, in modern-day Turkey. And that sounds like a perfectly respectable modern folk song. It's in A major, it's in 4-4 time. You would identify with that as a modern piece of music, and that is nearly 2,000 years old. Now, notation, as you proceed from there, becomes ever more prescriptive. It tells you more and more things. So, a 1,000 years ago, all it would tell you is the contour, more or less, or the pitches, if you were lucky. It didn't tell you much about rhythm. So rhythm comes next, about 1300 A.D., After rhythm comes harmony, around 1400, 1500. Then when Bach comes along, you have very precise rhythmic shapes and pitches. You don't have tempo, you don't have dynamics, which are quite important, how loud or how fast a note is to sound. That comes in around Mozart's time. Still, the timbre or the instrumentation is kept fairly loose until the 19th century. The Romantics really cared about colour. So the trajectory is towards ever greater specificity in music notation. And the counterside of that is gradually making less and less space for interpretation. So if you're performing a medieval song, probably about 75% of the music is in the interpreter. They have enormous freedom in how to perform it. When you get to the 19th century to Beethoven's time, the performer is just a performing monkey. I'm being a bit rude here. It's, it's, it's a mechanical job to... And that in, invests enormous authority in the genius composer. who's given a sort of godlike um, authority to dictate exactly what the music is. Is that a good thing? I'm not sure it is, but certainly <laughs> what happens to the West. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Michael Spitzer and we're talking about his book, The Musical Human, A History of Life on Earth. And Michael, you talk about a identifiable history of music starting about 40,000 years ago at the birth of what we would recognise as a modern human. Let's go a little bit further back than that. Oh, I say a little bit further back, a few hundred thousand years both to Australopithecus and and our first sort of stabs at bipedalism, which you talk about having an important connection to our identification with music. Yeah, well, first thing to say is that what we call music, nobody outside the West calls music. Music is, is one word for a sort of Swiss army knife of multiple things music does. And when music, quote unquote, crystallizes, it assembles together a plethora of elements which evolve quite independently. So so rhythm is first found in insects 165 million years ago. And we know that because we have fossils of prehistoric catitids or, or bush crickets. And we can reconstruct exactly what pitch that catitid chirped. And that was, a, that was an E natural, actually. But the first note in history is an E. But uh, never underestimate the importance of walking. Our first ancestor in Australopithecine, called Ardi, 4.4 million years ago, uh, stood up on her feet. And our music is haunted by the, the rhythm of walking. 
left, right, left, right. Most human music is uh, stamped with uh, the experience of walking, the experience of travelling, and even the illusion of motion. We like to pretend the notes move, but they don't really. You can't see anything move through air. But we imagine that they move. Why is that? It all goes back to the link between the brain and muscular exertion of walking and the sound that footfalls make. And fourthly, time consciousness, because once you have regular footfalls, you can predict what will happen next. And this sets in train a whole suite of evolutionary adaptations further downstream from there. And this also leads to a fascinating fact that I wasn't aware of before, that in all the animal kingdom, only parrots are able to, in some way, follow a beat like a human can. Not only parrots, exactly one parrot can. Oh, one parrot. (laughs) A cockatoo called Snowball, who can dance, who can bop to the Backstreet Boys. So it could be, ironically, um, a brain deficit in Mm. one animal, which gives them the ability to do this. It's to do with a vestibular system, that part of the brain, which connects our sense of balance to sound and to motion. I was going to say, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, there are a million TikTok videos out there of people's cats and dogs in yeah, making yeah, yeah. some sort of, you know, <laughs> attempt. At... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 sli- it's slightly dubious, but it's a, it's a really important link between uh, motion and sound. Another thread, actually, which is slightly oblique, is fish. <laughs> um, fish don't hear, but they sense the motion of other fish through the lateral line, a line which goes through mm. the length of their body. And they sense um, motion as as feeling. It isn't a metaphor when we talk about being touched by music. We really are being touched or being engulfed or immersed by music. I think it's a biological memory of when we associated hearing with being in water. And we do think of music as a kind of medium or, or watery medium which we swim through. The waves of sound, indeed. So the fish's lateral line, it becomes the organ of corti in our cochlea, in our inner ear. And we add to that um, uh, periodic oscillations, which we hear pitches. But even the way that the spiral, as it were, of pitch moves backwards and forwards between points of consonance or stability and points of dissonance. So if you're climbing up from the tonic up the octave, when you get to the octave, it's the same note, just higher. And that's the paradox. What it's doing, it's echoing the experience of walking, where walking periodically moves away from our um, point of balance and back to our point of balance. And that is recapitulated in the very periodic vibrations of our pitch system. It's evolutionary. You know, to go back to the evolution, if you travel upstream from asphalopithecines um, and look at the history of tools. So 1.5 million years ago, Homo ergaster, who makes the first um, bifacial flint hand axes. You can say, you can tell a lot from that in terms of the evolution of the brain. So um, because so many skills are cross-modal, they cross between different modalities of processing and they're also exportable skills if you're able to make um, symmetry in a tool so a bifacial axe has two faces and they're beautifully polished and symmetrical the ability to to make symmetry and to enjoy symmetry aesthetically that would have transferred into sound it's an aesthetic sense and if you transfer symmetry into sound what you get is regular meter because two beats in a bar which are regular that's symmetry in sound so it's a very plausible inference that if Homo ergaster is capable of making symmetrical tools, they can also understand 
symmetrical rhythmic patterns. So when they're napping or, or chipping a rock, that's rhythmically regular. That wouldn't have been intended as musical. This is just work which comes uh, music which comes off work the expression whistle while you work the majority of music happened whilst you were working and today we, we see that in in uh, cotton hollers or sea shanties or chain gangs a lot of music happens when you're doing something else but it came a, a sort of cognitive shift or shift of consciousness where homer Egester sort of grasped hold on these regular taps i'm making to produce these axes we can enjoy those for themselves as aesthetic objects and that's the first inkling of when music would have happened. Staying with us, the evolutionary path and just moving us forward to the Neanderthals, um, it's hotly contested amongst people that study Neanderthals as to whether they were a species that had language. But what it seems that they might have had is, is something more than just vocalisations in terms of calls. They might almost have had a song, and you talk about something called, I mean, how would you pronounce it? Hum song. It's it's holistic and multimodal communication, a bit like what you see apes do. Or I like to compare it to film music in silent movies or in Tom and Jerry. You don't need words to communicate complex emotions or intentional states. It's multimodal because they would have used touch and sight and the whole range of the larynx, but not necessarily distinct words. This is very controversial. We, people have recovered the FOXP2 gene, which is associated with language, and you find that in sapiens. You find a variant of it in, in earlier hominins, like Neanderthals, a slightly more primitive version. So on genetic terms, it's plausible to argue that what they were doing was communicating in a more primitive form of language. Perhaps it was language without syntax, just words or just intonations. We'll never know that. They might have had melody. Again, you can extrapolate from the complexity of tools. The first hafted spear, uh, to haft is to put a, a flint on a stick to make a composite tool. And they were found about 400,000 years ago in Schöningen in Germany and made by Neanderthals. So again, it's a transferable skill. If you can put things together to make a composite whole, you can put notes together to make a melody. That's my own theory. But what they couldn't do is to make a tool to produce song. And what a flute is, don't take a flute for granted, it's a technology to make music. And to do that, sapiens had to connect two parts of the brain, the part responsible for emotion or music and the part responsible for rationality and technology. And it's arguable that Neanderthals didn't have that neuroplasticity to make that all-important connection. Let's finish off looking at a, a couple of areas of what we might call music in the animal kingdom and which you talk about in this, the evolution parts of the book. We call it birdsong. Is birdsong music? In a word, yes. It is because it does the same thing that human music does. It has a function. So just like birds, we use music to attract a mate. Music is a food of love to deter rivals because our enemies don't like our kind of music. We use music to create a home or a territory. And we use music to create our identity of, of who we are. We are what we like. But also looking at the structure of birdsong, we know that much more today through things called spectrographs, which are tools to analyse the acoustic structure of songs. You can see how birdsong is formed through patterns. And birds riff on patterns in a similar way to jazz musicians riffing on patterns. Birds also have what humans have, which it, well, some birds have, not all birds, 
which is called vocal learning. The majority of animals inherit what their parents sing, and they lack the capacity to invent anything new. A lot of birds can create entirely new songs. Humpback whales are also a great example of that. So we share with whales and many bird species an ability to create fresh musical structures. Also, bird song is distinct from bird calls. Calls are functional, they're there to do things like warn other birds of particular snakes or dangerous predators. Bird song, birds play with sound for pleasure. And this is again hotly contested and goes against a lot of Darwin's thinking. Or does it? Because Darwin thought that birdsong was purely sexual adaptation. It served there to, to have a function. But birdsong is more complex than it needs to be to serve function. And I think it's speciesist to deny birds aesthetic pleasure. Why shouldn't a bird enjoy what they're doing just the way that we do with our music? And I wanted to finish this off with whale song because it's, it is going a step further as well because, as you said, not only are they able to improvise, as it were, but... It's not necessarily used for mating, you know. It's not necessarily used yeah. to attract a mate. So it's it's it, you know it's a it's a level further on than birdsong, even. Yes, um, people used to think that um, humpback males sang in the spring to attract a female, but when this happens, there are no females around. So why do they do it? One theory is that they do it because of social bonding. It's a way of being together you know why not another theory is that they use it as sonar to map the seabed as they sail through the ocean floor we won't know for a long time and i must stress that we know more and more every day that whale science is in its infancy and we should keep an open mind about it but certainly because whales are mammals i resonate much more to whale music than i do to bird music it's, it's terrific i can't recommend it too highly and um, it's also what, what I hear in whale song is, is flow because the notes really do flow from one to the other. I think that's because whales inhabit a liquid medium. And what they don't have is the walking footfalls, which, uh, which defines human music. So a good way to distinguish our music from whale music is the medium that we inhabit. Um, this is music of the sea, not of the land. So I've been talking to Michael Spitzer. We've been talking about his book, The Musical Human, A History of Life on Earth, which is out in the UK from Bloomsbury. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thank you very much, Neil. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.